0: This is The Accounting Insider Show. So this is another thing that a lot of investors are unaware of. There's got to be an easier way. It's cheap for anyone. It doesn't cost anything to set up a business. Because there are many great ideas out there, but it's the people that make ideas happen. Because once you unlock this formula, there's no reason to stop. Yeah. You just get better and better at it. You just make so much money out of it. Okay, today's topic is somewhat morbid but it's life and it's an interesting story so I think that I'll share it. Um, There's a lot to be learnt out of this story that I'm going to tell today uh, and I hope that you enjoy it. Um, The the story is about a friend of mine who was a role model, a mentor um, and I met him about 20 years ago. Um, I'm Just a heads up that it's not going to be a happy ending but we're actually going to learn quite a bit from this, so bear with me. Um, yeah, he, he he was someone I looked up to and trusted and respected and was a massive influence on me in the way that I developed my business and my property portfolio. So he came into my life about 20 years ago. Um, he was introduced to me by a close friend and I, I'd heard about him. I was really looking forward to meet him. It took a while, like maybe um six months to meet him and then maybe three or four more times um before he actually um started um you know trusting me and spending more time with me and um sort of you know I guess we became um yeah we, we father and son's a bit too close but um just close associates. And we'd speak regularly uh, and I always watch what he was doing and thought, wow, that's so advanced and so far away from um, where I am and he's got in so much earlier than me. Um, and what happened with property in in that period that he got into property um, will never happen again and I'm never going to ever get to his level. But he was always really encouraging on on, on what I was up to and said what a great job I was doing and was really, um, yeah, it was just really uh, a positive voice on the sidelines sort of coaching me and guiding me. Anyway, he, his story starts with um, his kids were looking for work. I think they were actually, they were working at a local business and that business was sort of uh, not traveling that well. So he inquired of the owner of about buying the business. And the owner, because, you know, um, he wanted out because it wasn't that going that well. So my friend came in and bought the business. So he effectively bought his kids a job. Um, I think that lasted for a year or two. And then he got wind that, he got an idea, well, he got, he got, he got, Informed that the shopping center that this business was located in was coming up for sale. So it was a big number 20 years ago. um, And he didn't ever think that he was actually going to ever be able to raise the money. But he just put in applications with a number of the big banks and then went to some second tier lenders. And he told me that he'd actually given up on the application. And then he got a call like, three or four months later from one of these second-tier lenders saying look we've looked at your application and we like the deal we're going to lend you the money he couldn't believe it but it was a lot of risk and interest rates were really high at that stage so it was it was a struggle from this from day one that a lot of the the shops in the shopping center were empty so he had to you know he, he didn't like using real estate agents so he he put signs up in the windows and attracted tenants and now they weren't your a-class tenants in shopping centers let me tell you they were they were sort of like uh tailors and laundromats and um i think florists and um picture framers and all those sorts of people that have will typically shop around to get cheaper rent than your you know your baker's delights and your wendy's and all of those ones that you see in your your westfields and. Um, those sorts of shopping centres, so it's it's next level down. Those sorts of people. Um, anyway, he he managed to struggle on, and as as time went by, um, uh, I think maybe one or two houses neighbouring onto the back of the shopping centre came up for sale, so he bought them as well, and that sort of squared up his block. He refinanced that property a number of times, and it went up dramatically in value. He he owned from. So I was on a main road in Adelaide, and then he owned from one street all the way through to the next street, Com- prime commercial real estate. Um, and and as time went by, he he went further and further back, and and there were sheds there, and there was he did some storage, and I think there were some mechanics out the back, and there was a real little hive of activity in this little hub of a shopping centre. Um, and then. Uh, like I guess he held it for like 10 years and then a developer came and knocked on the door and offered him 10 times what he'd paid for it and he sold it. Um, but before we get to that point, uh, on the side, he also went into other businesses. He, he was a serial entrepreneur. So um, this was at the time that the government was rolling out um, internet and, um, he got involved in one of those sorts of businesses and that was designed to take advantage of government incentives to provide internet services to people who otherwise couldn't receive normal broadband so um, he ran that business for a number of years but it didn't turn out so well but um, that was sort of Uh, carried on the success of the increase in value of the shopping centre. So as you can see, I guess some not so good investments were draining the good investments. So while it seems like he made a fortune on that one deal, it was somewhat weighted down by some of these other projects that didn't pay off. Um, That was one of them. There were probably a couple of other ones that... um, never got much traction as well so um, it wasn't exactly 10 times profit but um, it was still a significant profit as a result of that shopping center um, being on sold. then at that point he went into another real estate deal where he bought two offices side by side in um, a suburb very close to the cbd in adelaide and he bulldozed the two offices and then got approval to go to i think it was seven stories and build 20 or 30 units now on paper that looked incredible the returns were phenomenal um for very little cost in terms of land um there was a large return on that investment on paper. However, uh, as that development uh, took place, the builder kept on um, experiencing increase in building costs. And so there are a number of variation orders that were signed, which it doesn't take too long for those variation orders to start mounting up and eating to the end final profit i mean because ultimately the amount that you're selling the units for is fixed the build cost should be fixed but if that's escalating then the, the margin at the end of it is diminishing so i think at the end of that project even though on paper at the outset it finished like maybe a year later than it was supposed to and the variation orders effectively gobbled up all of the profit on that Development. Um, Then he did another development um, with more units actually in the city, uh, and that one exactly the same thing happened. Um, So, um, in the end, what looked like And there were a number of other properties around the place as well, but as these big deals um, of the unit developments progressed, um, other properties which were in the portfolio needed to be liquidated to fund um, the growing interest bills and the growing building costs on these developments. Uh, So what happened was basically the profit from the first big job And then the profit from all the little peripheral jobs was all rolled into the next deal and then the next deal. And for a number of reasons, the last deal derailed. And what was supposed to end up with him having a penthouse ended up with him not getting a penthouse. So effectively in 10 years, what went, Someone who went from uh, extremely affluent and a property developer, a property mentor, a property guru, basically through a number of factors ended up with um, back to square one where he was. Now, I've only found out about all of this in the last... Month, So it's it's actually been really hard for me to reconcile because when someone that you look up to and someone that's been um, coaching you experiences that sort of outcome, you go back and you question whether everything that you've learnt and everything that you've done is wrong, um, whether it's going to happen to you, um, whether you need to make modifications and adjustments, whether your model is fundamentally flawed, um, and what factors are there that could impact your model, your portfolio, and derail it. But um, I, I think that, uh, in my own experience, my first three property deals, I didn't, lose money I got my money back but I put five years of back breaking work into those three projects and for all of the time that I invested I I made nothing so I, I see that as a massive loss and that that for me was my property education and I say that to a lot of people I mean I see it time and time again when people come to me the first property that they buy which they think is a steal because they haven't got the experience and the knowledge it's often a dud and it often sets them back five or ten years and that happened to me but you get back on the horse you dust yourself off and you go again and you make sure that property three four and five are all winning deals and you take all of the knowledge and you sit back and you self-reflect um and you roll that into those next deals, and you say, "I'm never ever ever doing that again." And I'm if if the agent says that, I'm going to think this, or if they say that, I'm going to get it checked, um, and I'm not going to buy an auction anymore. You know, all of those factors become your your new general rules. So, I think that I've experienced, like I, I guess. Losing on those first couple of jobs, I've lost my naivety uh, when it comes to property investments, and I think that you get stronger. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, you get smarter, you get wiser, and you get better deals. But you know what? What what have I learnt from watching this happen to someone that I looked up to? Um, I've had to distill it into a couple of like a number of points, and I'm going to put forward what I think that person did that I would never do or I'm going to, as best I can, avoid ever going into that situation. So the first one is, um, I mean, he he was extremely tight, but he he was a classic of when he'd finished one project, he would rebadge that project. Well, sorry. So he had companies and trusts, when he'd finished a project, rather than shutting them down and liquidating them, he would reuse them in the next deal. Um, I don't think that that is a great way to go for a number of reasons. I think it's always best to, if you sell a project, and I hate selling properties and quite frankly, I never intend to sell another property as long as I live, but if you did and he did, um, my suggestion is that Perhaps it's worthwhile liquidating those companies and shutting them down once they've been finished and all the bills have been paid um I think that's sort of just like closing a chapter. I think you know frugality is good, but don't be over the top on it um you know he he ran everything through one bank account now, I'm adamant that every property that I've got has its separate bank account and it's treated as a separate entity. It's hard sometimes when you're trying to save money in bank charges and run everything through one bank account even though there might be multiple entities and then splitting it out at the end of the year. It doesn't make sense for a whole bunch of reasons like trying to do BASs, trying to do sets of accounts, like you've got to disentangle everything. I mean, the extra amount that you pay in administration fees and accounting fees and, um, to try to sort it all out and streamline it exceeds the amount you save in bank charges, exceeds the amount you're up for in extra transfers from one account. to another. Like, I think that trying to keep each project or each property that you've got separate, as a separate entity and running its own separate set of books, um, there's a lot of merit in doing that. You can see whether that project is constantly being topped up with cash but, and you can see if a tenant doesn't pay the rent, that the account goes into overdraft whereas if it's all mixed together it's much harder to make to, to have those telltale signs um, giving you feedback every month or every quarter when you do the bass you know like often if i'm doing the bass and a tenant hasn't paid for a month or two it doesn't happen that often but i'll pick it up when i do the bass but if they're all rolled together and you find fall behind with doing your basses you might well in this situation it might be Six months of rent that isn't paid before it's realized now it's obviously best to realize it the day after it's due and if you can set up checks and balances like way to go I mean property managers that's their job to do that, but if you're managing them themselves, then you need checks and balances to to detect these things um, He didn't have those checks and balances um he used a second tier lender. Now that was okay on the shopping center and that paid off however he also did that use a second tier lender on the units now that's where it came unstuck because in a, on a number of instances um they well they had massive setup fees their interest rate was way higher than the banks their risk tolerance was higher but there were also in those loan agreements there were also um, clauses that you had to meet certain parameters and often when you're going through those uh, you know you're in so deep that it's it's hard to meet those parameters And you might miss them by a day but they still get charged by these second-tier lenders whereas the big banks they're more accountable um, if they put up interest rates to higher level because of defaults, things like that. They've got a whole list of criteria that they need to go through before they apply all those charges. And, and I have seen that happen, but um, in this situation, because it was units, the big four banks didn't want to touch those deals. So the second-tier lenders had a field day. And these second-tier lenders were not household names. They are building companies that you probably haven't heard of, but the profit that they made on those jobs by charging... Penalties and interest was huge. Um, I think moving from taking the profits from commercial and then losing it in residential is also really important to understand as well. Um, Like this guy made his money in commercial and then lost it in residential. I think that there's a... a, I mean, it speaks for itself. Um, I'm a big fan of commercial property. Even though it's sort of considered to be an advanced sort of form of investing, um, when you wrap your head around it, it's not that different to residential, and I think the returns are there, and everything that I do in commercial, every part of it, it just seems to me to get better and better, and I think that it's supply and demand. At the end of the day, residential, if you look at any suburb, there's a lot more residential than there is commercial. Commercial is almost a dirty word. The councils don't like rezoning land for commercial because it's noisy, it's dirty, it's, it's not um, considered to be attractive. It's it's on main roads. It's But there's a need in the community bigger than, in my opinion, most of the allocation to commercial dirt. So the commercial businesses get pushed out into the areas that no one wants to go to. But if you've got commercial dirt in the city, in good areas, on main roads, it just gets scarcer and scarcer. And the price for rent and the price for sale goes up and up and up. So I have got a big preference towards commercial property. Um the another th- uh, another factor that didn't go down well in this mix was the builder that this person used had um had issues with his license before commencing these projects. So that's a bit of a red flag. Um Now I think that um, now there might have been a number of explanations for that but I just think that that's a warning sign and if you are embarking on a journey where you are relying heavily on a builder that would make you, that would basically put you on notice that um, this person has had issues in the past. The variation orders, um, okay, I I think we all love fixed contracts, but there are going to be variation orders. But, wow, it's easy, it's really easy to see them get out of hand really quickly. And if you're, you can imagine the situation, if you're halfway through building 30 apartments and the builder comes to you with a variation order, it's very, very hard at that point to turn around and say, I don't agree, because what's the builder going to do? He's going to turn around and say, well, I'm going to stop the project. So you more or less have to agree, negotiate the VA at the time to keep the project moving so all the trades don't walk off the site and you lose production and don't forget you've got your interest ticking away behind the scenes. Um, it There's a real incentive there to keep the ball rolling and, uh, well, I, I guess you you've really got to try to minimise Squeeze down those VAs. I'm not an expert in that area, but I can just see that um, that is it. It's a big problem with any construction, and uh, you've got to actively manage those VAs so they don't get out of control. I'm oh, sorry, I, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but VA stands for variation adjustment, and that's so. Say um, you agree with the builder at the start that you want to use uh, tiles in the bathroom and then you realise that the real estate agent comes in and says oh under underfloor heating would be so much better in all of those bathrooms so you go back to the builder and you say oh could you just go through all of the bathrooms and add underfloor heating um, because the real estate agents told me that that will appeal to a lot of the buyers so the builder then comes back and says that's fine but there's a variation order here for x amount of dollars and so if you want to do it you have to agree to it and that goes on to your final price or your progress payment or whatever so and that happens it may happen too because um there may be it's always uh unexpected changes and that could be because you've upspec the project or it's been an oversight in the plans by the architect or um, it physically won't work. They shouldn't creep in because when the plan's been done, nothing should change. But it's amazing how many times things change, um, how many things are overlooked. Um, you wouldn't think it's the owner's fault. It would be the draftsman or the architect or the the builder's fault. Or, um, yeah, I... <laughs> I don't know how they arrive, but they often arrive. Uh, they should be avoided. Um, I think, you know, keeping up to date with BASs and tax returns, you know, this is fundamental. Um, I think that we're all busy and it's one of those things that can be put to the back of the pile. I mean, I'm. I've got to admit, I'm the last one in my office to lodge the tax, my tax return. It's like the mechanic drives the worst car. Um, but I do get them in on time. I know that that's important. Um, I might get an extension, but it's important to keep everything up to date. I see a trend with people who get busy or don't keep up to date with their lodgements or get behind with their payments, and... Um, it's a telltale sign that there's cracks in the system starting to appear. It's very important to keep up to date with all of that. Um, check your balances every day. Lodge all your basses on time. Don't fall behind. Um, make sure your interest payments are up to date. Pay your credit card off every day. Just general housekeeping. Uh, if it gets out of hand, it becomes a massive problem. Um, The the rolling of the profits from one job into the next, that's a classic sign of an entrepreneur developer. Um, Looking back, that's that's, um, fraught with danger on a whole number of levels. At the end of each project, it is important to sit down, take stock, and get up to date with everything before starting the next project. Even my advice is just take some time off and just reflect and write down what you've learned, what what you did that worked well, what didn't work well and just catch your breath before rushing out into the next one. Um, In my situation with um, the person that I'm referring to, at the end of that sale of the shopping centre, This person could have um, effectively taken stock, taken a sabbatical, sat down and uh, reflected on everything that worked and and why it worked and could have um, set themselves up for the rest of their lives at that point had they taken the breather and um, stopped and reassess rather than rushing out into the next deal i i know that, that like there's there's so much excitement and euphoria with landing the next deal and the chase and the hunt and and winning it and then winning the deal and getting the approval and all of that but sometimes as an entrepreneur you just have to pull yourself back and just put the handbrake on and just slow down and and catch your breath and that's not a bad thing i mean this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Um, yeah, I, I just, I think taking stock at the end of each job is is very important. Uh, this um, person loved, well, was often in court. So I think court should be avoided at all costs unless it's, Totally unavoidable. Um, It's very... The legal system, unfortunately... uh, How would you put it? Um, It's very hard to obtain justice and have a win through the legal system. Um, Astronomically legal... Astronomically high legal costs. um, it's, It's just... I'm finding more and more it's just better to sit down to the per- with the person that you're having a disagreement with and say, look, can we work this out rather than fighting it out in court? Um, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people want to have their victory in the court. They might win, and they, don't forget, they might win the court case, but at what cost? Financially? Emotionally? Um... And then this person that I'm referring to had a lot of health issues. So that doesn't help and and, and that wasn't his fault, but uh, that certainly contributed to a lot of these, um, exacerbating a lot of these issues. Uh, So, yeah, and... They played golf once a week. I think the moral of the story is if your house is not in order, you can't take the time out to play golf. Um, you know, Make that sacrifice just to get up to date with, with all your paperwork. <laughs> put, the game, put the game of golf off for a week. Put it off for two weeks. Um, just tell your mates that <laughs> you can't take the time out until you get up to date with your work. Anyway, this has been an awkward story for me to tell, but I, I think that um, it's important for me to to document it and to share it with you guys. Um, I hope that you've got something out of it. Um, I hope that it's been worthwhile and I hope that you can um, avoid some of these pitfalls and learn from um, other people who have gone before us as mistakes. Thanks for tuning in.